Welcome to Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast. The podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from a different decade each week. From black and white classics to modern day blockbusters, we'll be covering it all. This season, we'll be focusing on romantic comedies. And for our first episode of the season, we're heading all the way back to the 1950s again. It's a Billy Wilder classic starring Audrey Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart. Rick, it's Sabrina. To my surprise, this is not about the teenage witch that I grew up loving. This is just a classic rom-com with the usual tropes, including Leonardo DiCaprio level age gaps, attempted suicide, stalking, and yes, even a beloved fish named George. This is Sabrina, starring Audrey Hepburn as a chef who doesn't cook, Humphrey Bogart as a 55-year-old man, and William Holden as David. Park, I do have to ask you, did you... Do you remember the, the fish? Rick, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't remember the fish. I think you have a little bit of a, of a advantage over me on remembered certain things because you watched this how long ago? Like two hours ago? I, no, I literally ended the movie and then we got on, <laughs> got on the computer. <laughs> yeah, I watched this like two weeks ago. So, so I don't remember the fish, unfortunately. He's only there in the very beginning for only a frame. For only a frame? But they shared his name as George, so he's obviously an important character. Of course. Can I just say, it's, it's so nice to have your, your Rick summaries back once again. Oh, I miss them. I wish I could just have them at the end of like every day in my life. I know. Which I guess like I am me, so I could. You are Rick. You could, exactly. But it's, it's definitely a possibility. Well, maybe you could do it for me if it's weird doing it for you. Like, I'll just send you a little text of like what I did the day, and then you could just send me back a summary i think you just send me like a really loose like a vlog like just carry around a gopro facing your just facing you the whole day all day you just have footage of my face going up my nose a little bit too yeah and then i watch it in like 10 times speed <laughs> so i sound like a chipmunk yeah exactly yeah, perfect wow rick i can't believe it it's season two we're here we made it all the way through season one we are living the life right now and we're Enjoying romantic comedies, the rom-com, as some hoodlums would say. Parker, I'm just excited when we can get to the really strong, great romantic comedies. You know, ones that might have Tom Hanks, but especially the ones that have Adam Sandler. You know, your favorite actor, Park. Ah, Rick, I really hope that we watch a little You Got Mail some point this season. Maybe, Park. We'll we'll dive in. You never know. The 90s is still a far way away. Far... Far way away? Is that is that it? That sounds so wrong. A land so far, far away. Rick, why why are we delaying any longer? Why are we procrastinating? Let's just get into it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Season two edition. I feel like we should, we should probably start off as as the title is the good, bad, and the ugly instead of mixing it up. It's only our first episode this season. So tell me, what do you think is good from this movie park? You know, I got to tell you that I am really finding out that I love 1950s movies. Last season, Invasion of the Body Snatchers was such a bop. And then this season, Sabrina also hits hard as well. And let me tell you something, Rick. The calm in this rom smacks hard. There's some good calm in this. Uh, A very good mix of slapstick and dialogue. Um comedy a couple of things that come to mind early in the film the father sleeping in the 
in bed when uh, Aubrey Hepburn's character Sabrina is committing suicide in the garage and she's turning on all the cars which it's weird it's like totally really weird to like be having such an awful thing happening but then like up it's cutting back to the father upstairs and having like his room shaking and he's just like sound asleep it's like really funny slapstick like that but also we'll get into the we'll get into the suicide stuff in a little bit i I don't want to go too far in advance rick but that and then also like the the dialogue of when the family is reading her notes from seeing at cooking school and they're like it, you know, they read a part and everyone's like, that's good. And then they'll read another part and they're like, that's bad. And it's just like that really witty, clever dialogue that I love from this era of Hollywood. And it's like here in full force and I can't get enough of it. That is one of my major goods. Another good in this film is Audrey Hepburn's performance. I think you would agree, Rick, this is something you said before we even started recording, is that she carries this movie and I would have to agree with you. She is the heart and soul of this movie for many reasons. Part of it is just her character, and part of it is the chemistry she has with a couple of other characters in this movie don't work well, but every time she's on the screen, you know that she is a true star. And so Audrey Hepburn, another good in this movie. I already harped on this a little bit, but the dialogue can't get enough of that old school 1950s Hollywood dialogue. They just they just wrote it different back then, Rick. I don't know if it's because they were on like crack and cocaine all the time in the writers' rooms, but they know how to write a one-liner. For one last good, I like the construction of the plot. It's a really good romantic comedy plot in this idea of you know Aubrey Hipper and Sabrina falling in love with David, who's just kind of where the family's trying to get him married to this other daughter of another important business venture. And so the brother steps in to start dating Audrey Hepburn. And, you know, it just has a good romantic comedy plot. And I thought that that was great. The only problem is the execution and the characters don't quite work as well as the plot itself. But before we jump into that, Rick, I've talked a lot about my goods. What about yours? Audrey Hepburn is definitely, like, it's almost understating if we're just saying it's good. No other actress could, like, play this part and, like, it would just be a mid-movie to me. Like, if Audrey Hepburn wasn't in this movie, it would, it, I mean, let's be honest, it would just be, like, an Adam Sandler Netflix movie. Like, it would, no one would think about it. Even, like, the moments that are kind of shaky in the script and the story, she, like, really stands in there and gives great line deliveries and performance. In my mind, I'm thinking about the first act of this movie where her character is just kind of all over the place and in ways you would think unlikable, but she just really nails it. Audrey Hepburn, one, she paid for all of her dresses. So all of her ensembles, like she paid for the director. They said they didn't have enough budget to pay for it. She also picked them all out, like personally. Someone won an Oscar. I think someone famous won an Oscar for it for costume design. It was probably Edith Head. Yeah, she didn't actually have a hand in her costume design, though. I think all that she did was for everyone else in the movie except for Audrey Hepburn. That's so interesting. So Audrey Hepburn worked with someone else to, like, pick out all of her dresses and everything, which is just awesome. I mean, her dresses, like, it's really cool. It just You can see just the era, which I think is really cool. I will say it's, it's, it, it's okay that even if that's the case for Edith Head because she's a world-renowned costumer, and I think she ended up winning another, like, 
eight or nine Oscars. I'm sure she did. I guess there's like a funny little background that she like sketchily like claims this one and a lot of people don't think that she should claim it. Well, the more you know, Rick. I think the dialogue is fantastic in this as well. I had to write George. George is just, it's a great scene. It's, it's literally this end like Audrey Hepburn is narrating the opening of the movie and she states that there is even, she's like, there's even a man to carry after the one fish that's in the lobby named George. I think my favorite part about the entire narration is that she doesn't really name anyone in her opening narration. She just like, kind of names how rich these people are, except for David and George. So I know she had a heart for George Park. That's true, Rick. If she's talking about George in the same sentence as David, especially at the beginning of this film, you know where her heart lies. You really do. But Park, we'll sneak into George a little later, maybe in our script reading. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's right. We have another script reading this the, to start off this season. You haven't told me anything about that. I know. I've not told you anything. That's the most information I've gotten so far. Normally, we kind of debrief on these things before our podcast, but you've you've been tight to the chest on this one, Rick. I had to, Bork. I had to. I love that there's frozen daiquiris in this movie. I feel like, for some reason, I feel like the '50s and '60s is just that time when they just people were just trying to make everything frozen. And, like, obviously there's still lazy. There's frozen margaritas everywhere. It's just funny to me that we just think that you make something frozen and it just automatically tastes better. But, you know, love a good old daiquiri. The biggest pro part of this movie is that there's a little story where Linus pretty much says that he was about to jump off, commit suicide. And uh, the one thing that stopped him was there was kids playing on the sidewalk. So my pro of the movie is the kids on the sidewalk who didn't get killed by Linus's falling body. It's a little dark, but it's on brand for the movie. <laughs> that would be very traumatizing. We'd be back into psychological thrillers with all that trauma. I know. I mean, there's there's many parts of this movie that was really hinting, like hinting on the psychological thriller <laughs> yeah. could have happened. We couldn't we couldn't fully commit of getting away from that genre, Rick. We had to stay in it a little bit still. Rick, before we move on to our uglies, both of us said in our goods that we loved the dialogue and I actually wrote down a few of my favorite dialogue quotes from the movie and I just wanted to read them off. I thought it'd be kind of fun. What do you think? Just rattle them, Park. I'm going to rattle them off. A little rattle-tattle right here. All right. First one. A happily in love woman burns the sulfate. A woman unhappily in love forgets to turn on the oven. Rick, you like that one? It's a great one. Rick, another one that happens in that same scene. You must stop looking like a horse. <laughs> it's straightforward, Mark. It was, this, that, that Frenchman was really, that older gentleman was really, you know, straightforward. Let's see, what else do I got? Ah, right here. You're acting like you're the son of the hot dog dynasty being asked to marry the daughter of the mustard king. <laughs> another one. You're still reaching for the moon. No, Father. The moon is reaching for me. Yeah, that was like a mic drop line. Right that there. was. That, that really like epitomized her shift in perspective and character. Yeah. Um, from when she got back from Paris. All right, I think I got one more written down here. 20th century? I could pick a century out of a hat blindfolded and get a better one. That was from Linus and David's father. 
There's all great things that are delivered on screen. I need to, we're going to go right to my bads before we get to yours. My main bad is that all the important character growth is off screen. I would say the only like character growth that's on screen is Linus, but again, Linus sucks in this movie. Like he sucks in this movie, plain and simple. He's not a very engaging character. Part of my bad is I don't buy into the relationship between Sabrina and Linus at all. And part of that is just throughout the whole movie is it like is he actually falling for her or is he still just doing this for his business? And I'm I was asking myself that question all the way to like the final ten minutes of this movie. It's true. I mean, I was asking myself the question of when the credits rolled. It just you don't buy it at all. Yeah, I and mean, like, even David's random off-screen character growth of hey, you can have her, Linus. I I totally agree with you. A lot of things that don't line up with the characters and character growth is a, is a real thing, and characters are supposed to grow throughout a movie, but if it all happens off-screen, it's not it's not good. It's not good at all. It's like the last season of Ted Lasso Park. Couldn't stand it. Let's not get into that, Rick. Break my heart. <laughs> I know, it might break my heart too. Uh, yeah, I also wrote everything to do with Linus, which we just said. Uh, the lack of food in a chef-led movie. Chef-led movie, I know it's strong, but come on. She went to Paris. She mainly went to Paris because her dad wanted her to forget about David and I guess become what, <laughs> become what his vision of a woman should be. So he sent her to a cooking school. <laughs> <laughs> 1950s for you, baby. Poor tennis net care park. Didn't love it. Every time we saw that tennis court, that net was getting trashed. Awful. Rick, I'm surprised that's not in your ugly. It should be. But I, just, I had two really big uglies. I just couldn't put tennis net care there. We'll get to those in a minute, Park. That's fair. Rick, a few more of my bad that I have. David's character, specifically, is not a real human being. I am sorry. <laughs> Sure, there are unloyal guys who are girl crazy, but his characterization was so cartoonish and how far they lean into that. Which leads into another bad that I have is how in the world is Sabrina interested in a man like David at the start of this movie or throughout the entirety of this movie? And even Linus at the end. <laughs> yeah, this this guy is like not someone that like, I don't know. I just, obviously she fantasizes about him from a distance up in trees and so she doesn't really know the man that well, but at the same time, like, as soon as you start to get to know him, like, is this the type of guy you want to end up with? And it's like, obviously we know all the things that have come out in Hollywood in the past few years, which is all, like, insane and, like, creepy. And, like, the 1950s, like, the 1950s and, like, this story and even learning more about, like, Audrey Hepburn's love affairs in life it's all it is all kind of creepy one the love interest the age gap of love of love interest in this movie is like audrey hepburn is 24 years old when she filmed this and the actor that plays linus is 55 Mm -hmm. and then on the same movie set and like i'll get into the drama behind the scenes later but audrey hepburn like falls in love with the uh with william holden who plays david and there's an 11 year age gap there so he's like he's what 35 and she's 24 that's 11 years like, it's just, it's so, it's, 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 I don't know, it's just creepy to me. I know it's, like, a different time, and, like, it just shows me, it just shows you that Hollywood is still, like, it was so creepy in some ways back then. Yeah, those age gaps were a lot more common back then. And I think probably part of it was just the star power and how stars were handled 
back in the day because back in the 50s you had these movie stars who signed contracts with the studios and then the studio execs had the right to put who they wanted in what films basically had the control over the actor for x amount of movies or x amount of years and stuff like that and so someone like Humphrey Bogart is a huge movie star back in the day and it's going to bring in an audience and then you got Audrey Hepburn on the other end who's an up-and-coming rising huge star and so put those two together and that's kind of how how it worked and I think that that's part of the reason there's more of those odd pairings yeah well it's weird Uh, at least like when I was looking back so I found this uh page that pretty much had like reviews from the 50s like when this movie aired and I'm just as happy to see that like we're not the only ones that think 55 to 24 years old is age is weird even back then like almost every other review that I saw that was like literally reviewed at that time period also thought that Linus was the biggest miscast and like that's the reason why this movie like it could have been so much better than it was but they but they ruined it with uh having Humphrey Bogart in there yeah and I think Humphrey Bogart is a great actor and he's been obviously he's been in some of the best films of all time maybe the best film of all time in Casablanca but it was a it was an odd pairing and uh, it really hindered the relationship aspect of the movie which is a major if not the anchor of this film i park the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst what is ugly about this movie to you rick i just have one note two notes two notes number one and most important one suicide is not calm okay I'm, I'm just going to say it for everyone out there who was laughing at this movie and it's suicide. That is not comedy. I don't like to see suicide attempts in my romantic comedies. I'm sorry, Rick. It just felt out of place. It felt ridiculous in all the wrong reasons. Don't know why they had to handle it that way. It's the 50s part. But I think I do know why, Rick, and you just said it. The 50s. And it's the female stigmatization that early Hollywood had on women and female actresses and this idea of that they're helpless without a man and that they can't be these independent women, but they have to have a man to fulfill them. And I think that that opening sequence really illuminates how things were written and how things were portrayed back in that time well i even think you compare that to because you had the suicide like attempt scene and then you had her and linus talking about his attempted suicide so like for some reason suicide was just a way for them to like deliver little witty comments or like little witty scenes that's such like a serious subject matter too and to and to be glossed over and in ways be played off as a joke with sabrina trying to commit suicide and her father rumbling up like it was funny i'm not gonna lie the slapstick aspect of all the cars turning on in the garage and her father's upstairs and he's like asleep but everything's shaking around him that's a funny image but at the same time it's just totally making a mockery of a very important subject matter and different time i understand but i feel like it wasn't even until we were almost in 2010 of when like certain things in like mental health and like mental illness and suicide was like actually be taken seriously and there's still outliers today 
So but you like, would think that suicide, of all things, would still be taken seriously throughout. That's people's lives. I know. The park, it's Hollywood. That, that's, that's my ugly, Rick. That, that is the ugly of this film. Well, Park, my ugly's not near as big and bad as your ugly, but still a movie sin, if you will, nonetheless. I can't wait to hear, Rick. First one is the amount of eggs wasted on screen. Yeah. So I went, I re, when I thought of this, Park, I rewinded. Rewound, rewinded, whatever the... I was wound up, so I rewound back to the beginning of the movie. I counted over 70 eggs that were broken on screen in their class. And, like, some of them were just dumped on the floor. I know they didn't use these eggs, Park. I think they were actually eggs. I can't imagine they, they made that many fake eggs in Hollywood back in the day. No, Rick, I bet you they went to a supermarket and bought a bunch of eggs. That's exactly how, that's how I think it went. Way too many eggs to just waste, Park. Way too many eggs. The second one is... I've, this is, like, the most annoying part of the movie for me, more so than the blandness of Linus. When Sabrina came back from Paris, how did no one recognize her? It was so it was so weird to me. She just got a haircut, and it, I feel like they played it so much that no one recognized her. Not even like a crazy haircut. She just got got like a little bit shorter of a haircut. I know. <laughs> so I I compare that to uh, Clark Kent's glasses of like it's a little change, and I guess it just just shook everyone. Park, no one could see it coming. I I do have to agree with you. I like the idea of she's coming back and she's exuding this confidence and that aura makes her stand out more. And maybe that's how David notices her. But, like, the fact that, you know, there's so many people who were shocked by her and not recognizing her was kind of the the weird thing about it all. It did some good things, like, so it's not the end of the, like, it's, I guess I can't, it's, I should put it in bad and not ugly. Like, hairstyles and, like, these short hairstyles really defined Audrey Hepburn's career. And, I mean, there's still, like, she had such an effect of, like, Japanese hairstyles. Like, that's how big, that's how big to think of a star that Audrey Hepburn was in the 50s. Like, it wasn't, like, people were just trying to copy her hairstyles, like, in the U.S. and in Hollywood. Like, literally it reached nations, which is absolutely insane to me. Audrey Hepburn's a freaking icon, Park. I know. I love her. Rick, before we move on, would you put Audrey Hepburn above Laura Dern? Parker, I was thinking of that before I went into the movie. I thought there was absolutely no way. But I think I think I need to. I think I'll confirm Rick. it. Park, you it's dog. Not, it's not really a hint that we're probably watching an Audrey Hepburn movie next week. We'll find out in <laughs> like what fifteen minutes. Uh, yeah. But, I'll confirm it next week. We'll see how we'll see how she flies in a in another iconic role. I reckon I'm excited, and that's a little tease for what is to be announced at the end of this podcast. It is. How about you, Park? Do you have any any say? In what? <laughs> if uh, Audrey Hepburn oh. is more iconic <laughs> like, than uh, Laura Dern. <laughs> uh, yes, I I totally think she's more iconic. Yes. You also have to just think about like what she stands for and like the time and place that she did what she did she's like a forefather for women in hollywood in a lot of ways you know i don't even want to just put her in the category that she's like one of the most important actresses ever which she is i think she's one of the more important like actors in general like i she's i think she's bigger 
than a lot of names we currently have in Hollywood today. And a lot of people like may have never seen an Audrey Hepburn movie, might not even know what she looks like, but people to this day can still recognize that name. Even someone that has no idea, just because of the impact she has on culture, if, they, if you ever like ask someone to think of what Audrey Hepburn's hairstyle probably was, I really think that they probably would have said short, like anyone would say that. Like I just think she's so, and I just think she's iconic for not even just Hollywood, but for, I mean, just the whole like American culture. I don't even know if American culture is our word. She's a freaking icon, Park. Incredible. Rick, before we move on to our next segment, I have one more question for you, okay? I can answer one more. Only one more. <laughs> Only one more, I promise. This is it. <laughs> okay. Obviously, a big part of this movie is Linus is getting into the plastic business. And there's a whole sequence in his office where they're talking about the resilience, <laughs> the resilience of the plastic. Do you think that that plastic could withstand a bazooka launch? First of all, I thought that some of this... I don't know why I didn't think of bringing it up. Dude, some of those plastic scenes were so goofy. He's, t- <laughs> he's talking to David and out of nowhere, while David's in mid-conversation, he just pulls out a handgun and just starts shooting the plastic. <laughs> I cannot believe I, I forgot about that. <laughs> I love that sequence, honestly, though. It was just so funny. It, it's just such, such good humor. I almost feel like it introduced him as like an old Bond villain. <laughs> in ways, yeah, it does feel like that, doesn't it? Just based on the movie park, he took out this plastic. There, he was right. There was not a scratch on it. The yeah. plastic that is shown in the movie, I think, could could withstand a bazooka. <laughs> With and it will not leave a scratch park. Rick, not even a scratch. I like how he just kind of like asked his assistant to just like call the military or whoever he like knew in the military and ask if he can borrow a bazooka. That's power <laughs> park. He's flexing there. I don't disagree, Rick. That is power. Yeah. He was, I mean, he was probably really, he was Oppenheimer before Oppenheimer. It is time to move on to our next segment, Then and Now. So in this new segment, it's probably something we should have added last season. Just thought about it this season, we were figuring out things to make this podcast better. A huge heart for this podcast is we really want to talk about and discuss the differences and similarities between eras. I think that's why we're interested in watching all these movies from not even just currently, just watching movies in the 50s and things like that. Uh, so in this segment, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be picking apart differences and similarities to the genre from then to now. I will say, I'm not a movie man, so I'm just going to make little witty comments. Parker's probably going to do a lot of the actual movie stuff, so listen up. Park, it's your turn. Rick, i got to start off by saying that the story structure of this movie really fits into the rom-com structure. The beats, there were a lot of similar beats to this. You have the main character who's involved with someone outside the main love interest with Sabrina having this interest in David and then getting involved with him when she gets back from Paris. You've got the wacky larger-than-life plot that brings the two love interests together with this whole marriage arrangement that's supposed to be happening with David and his fiance and Linus trying to protect his business acquisitions. So that's why he gets involved with Sabrina. I need to cut you off. Cut me off. Did David stay with his fiance? Was there anything there? I don't... I just watched it and I don't think there was. Maybe there was a comment. I don't know either, actually. I can't, I can't tell you. Because his fiance's like in it and they're kind of like hiding it. 
Did yeah. You, but, yeah, it's weird. Anyways, so I just thought about that now. I, I, don't, I don't know. I can't knows, remember. Maybe. Let yeah. us know if you watch this movie. Let us know in the comments below. Does David stay with his fiance and the business acquisition continue on? These are the questions that we would love to know. It's obviously why all great rom-coms need sequels. <laughs> I won't go through every story structure beat, but a lot of those same beats that have been tried and true in this formula are there in this movie all the way back in the 1950s, which I think was really cool. And it really shows that structure works and that the progression of stories can be formulaic, but you can still make it entertaining and fresh and unique by putting your own spin on things. Something that I think is a little different from this era or from the 1950s era to today is the comedy in these type of movies. There's a lot more slapstick comedy, I feel like. And also, I laughed more during this movie than I do in a modern romantic comedy. I think modern romantic comedies are kind of all about like that cheesy, like kind of, I don't know, over-the-top romanticism. And usually it's not dialogue-based in new new comedies. It's like... Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, it feels like they're not trying a lot of their dialogue. I'll say this. I think this is the best way to sum it up, is I feel like the 1950s rom-coms are comedies before romantic movies, yeah. and the, the rom-coms of today are romantic movies before comedies. Does that make sense? It's true. I mean, it's not even classified as a rom-com, probably more of a drama, but Park, I was just on a plane and I watched Jerry Maguire, and I was going to cry at the end. You had me at hello, still rings in my head. Rick, I would consider that a rom-com, though. I think so. Also, I mean, Tom Cruise, great. You had me at hello, Rick. You had me at hello. Iconic. <laughs> I talked about this in, in my ugly a little bit, but the movie falls into... It falls into an old Hollywood trope, but it also pulls itself out of it, which I, I thought was really interesting. The idea of women not being able to stand up for themselves, being reliant on a male partner can't go on with their lives without the fulfillment of a man and that is how this movie starts out but then after she gets back from Paris she becomes a very strong and independent woman who just does what she wants which I thought and I think I, I haven't seen a whole catalog of 1950s movies but it seems like that would go off the beaten path of movies from then and being more in line with movies now where there are definitely a lot of strong female leads and strong female actresses in romantic comedies it really felt like she was like breaking the mold like both the character was breaking the mold and audrey hepburn was really breaking the mold because again like we're again like we're gonna watch another audrey hepburn movie i like next week i feel like i'll eventually we'll eventually get through her catalog i'm sure at some point i think i i feel like it's gonna be a common theme with what audrey hepburn and the impact that she probably put on these kind of movies in hollywood yeah, it's almost like this movie, though, was saying, this is what you've no come to know and expect from female actresses in these type of movies. And introducing that and then saying, no, we're not doing that. Here's something bold and new. And, you know, it's not necessarily bold and new in today's eyes, but for back then, that, that was a big difference. I feel like that was a, a huge character change. Absolutely. And it's just like, even though in this movie, 
you do have the absolute like superstar of Humphrey Bogart like the female lead absolutely steals it and I don't even think that's Audrey Hepburn that really sold it like she obviously sold it I don't think that's her that created that atmosphere I think the movie is designed that way yeah like whether it was Linus or David or whatever like it didn't to me like you could yeah we could have casted Linus a lot better you could have put Tom Cruise in Linus's position and I don't think that I would have seen this movie as like a Tom Cruise movie like this is a female-led movie for sure yeah the last thing I want to talk about is the lack of physical affection or direct references to sex. We've all heard about the censorships that took place. Wait, back. Park, what's sex? Exactly. Even early on in the movie when Sabrina's spying on David when he's about to, you know, get with his to-be fiancé, when they're on the tennis court, they're coming together and they just kind of like sway and dance off into the distance and into the background but they never like kiss or say they're going to go have sex or anything like that and that kind of epitomizes how that was handled back in the day when when you compare that to today's romantic comedies sex is always being talked about there's always scenes where the lead actress and the supporting actress that's her best friend are talking about sex and vice versa with the guys you know that's a very focal reference and part of comedies today when back then they couldn't make those references and have those conversations so they had to get a little more creative with how they were implying those things it's true there's i feel like in today's movies i also realized earlier i was saying jerry Maguire is today but that was 90s wasn't it 90s or early 2000s i think it was 90s but uh i would even like even in that movie so even in the 90s you like these movies have like pinnacle scenes and like whether it's sex or something there's always like some type of physical device that they're using to say oh they're not just talking anymore or they're not just flirting anymore they're there and there's always a scene like that in like today's movies and how many how many romantic comedies do we see today that you know the couple gets together and by the midpoint of the movie they're having a sex scene with each other where in comparison to this movie i'm trying to remember exactly what happened at the midpoint of this movie but there definitely wasn't any sex i think it was just an opening of intimacy about their history and what they've wanted well it was sharing secrets sharing secrets that was the scene probably right in the middle where i think that's where the growth the character growth of linus really should have come out but it just didn't because i mean the miscast i really feel like we talked about a lot to where he was like, you, or he was like, can you keep a secret? And then she doesn't even answer. He's like, yeah, I know you can keep a secret. It just shows that he was like ready to like kind of spill himself. But but again, like in today's day and age, they probably would have had sex <laughs> after, no, no. after that, you know. And and they would have shops. They would have swapped secrets the very first or second date. Yeah. So it's it's the way that all of that had to be handled was so different, and that's probably one of the biggest differences from these movies that took place back in this era compared to the movies that take place today and it's just kind of funny because i feel like when i was like growing up i always thought that like old hollywood because of like watching older movies growing up so even like casablanca or like some of these movies i just thought that it was very like prim and proper (laughs) which is like not old hollywood is not (laughs) at all yeah it's way honestly looser in some ways more disgusting than it is now for sure. Oh, for sure. Rick, we're getting close to the end of our podcast. We're about to do our fun activity, but I got one more thing that I'm going to introduce for us. This segment is called Spill the Tea. 
Rick, I know that there was a lot of drama that took place on this film set. And I know you did a little research into that. So I thought it'd be fun if you shared some of that tea with our listeners. What happened on the set of Sabrina? Yes, Parker, I quickly found out that even in the 50s, Hollywood gossip was alive and well. So I was diving deep. Not really, it was like one blog post. Anyways, here's the quick rundown. Uh, I'm doing this off of memory of the post that I read once. I think I just told you once. So, Frank, that's that's as credible of a source as you can be, as you can get. Also, like when you're spilling tea, you know, like you're you're with your bros and you're like, hey, I need to spill tea, which happens. You're like you're not reading it anywhere. You're just yeah, it's true. You're just spilling. You're vibing, it. Park. You're spilling it. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the rundown. So Humphrey Bogard was the backup option. Um, I don't know who the first option was. It definitely said it. I didn't care to see who it was, though. Humphrey Bogart kind of was, like, butthurt that he was the, the backup option. And then he, like, was trying to make the director to make his wife Sabrina. And then the director practically wrote this role for Audrey Hepburn. So he was like, no, that's a dumb idea. And then Bogart was pretty much just fed up with Sabrina because he kept saying... I think he literally said in an interview, they, like, asked him if Audrey Hepburn was a good actress... And he said, after we go through the line seven times, she is. Just so, like, just so <laughs> sarcastic and just bashing her. Um, and some of that also could have been fueled in, like, the annoyance. So Audrey Hepburn and William Holden, who played David, had a little romance, Park. A, a real-life romance. romance. Real-life romance. 11-year age gap, real-life romance. Which, you know, 11 years, I guess, is not that crazy. But good old Audrey and William. They were having the romance during, the, during everything, and then... Uh, William was like, hey, I'm going to leave my wife and kid for you. Which is like, wow. I don't know why we just, there should be a movie about that. It's That's some real crazy. tea right there. I know. Which I, Audrey was kind of, I think, ready to do was what I kind of picked up from this little snippet in an old magazine. And then she realized that William got his old tubes tied to park. And Audrey wanted kids. So that was a deal breaker, and then that, I guess that's that broke it off. It's crazy to think if his tubes were not tied, Rick, that he would be potentially with Audrey Hepburn. I don't know, that's crazy. I just also love that Audrey Hepburn and William Holden probably didn't even give a crap that Humphrey Bogart is having all these little complaints and stuff. I will say that Humphrey Bogart, I'm pretty sure that he had... Um, someone, well, I know Audrey Hepburn had cancer. I'm pretty sure Humphrey Bogart had cancer, and as he was kind of going through his, like, kind of trials with it and everything, he eventually, like, went to each of the actors and the director and, like, apologized for his behavior and said he had stuff going on at home. Mm. So he's probably not a completely awful person. Yeah, I mean, that that can be tough. Also, I'm just, like, trying to, like, imagine myself in that situation as, like, a first-team PA where you're just, like, your job is to, like, be in the midst of the cast every day on set and like navigating all of that drama it would be exhausting it's a bit of a pet peeve with me for uh and i feel like i'll point it out with other rom-coms we watch for rom-coms of like when i really feel like the girl or the guy that's like chosen like the the chemistry just isn't there like i hate it when there's like movies like the ash there's a newer like ashton kutcher drew barrymore movie that's absolutely awful on netflix and like drew barrymore has way better chemistry with like the like the guy that she doesn't choose that she does with like ashton kutcher which yeah. is just like I, I like that's like a big pet peeve of me for movies and honestly i feel like that's exactly what we saw here like audrey hepburn and david 
obviously had big, big, big chemistry in the whole movie, which Audrey and Humphrey Bogart had zero chemistry. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I can't deny with you there, Rick. Well, I appreciate you coming to us with that tea today. That was, uh, it was, it was spilt, Rick. It's all over my pants now. I know, it looks like I peed myself, Fork. <laughs> oh my gosh, Rick. We're going to keep the train moving. And at the end of every podcast, including season two podcast, we have a fun activity. And we're bringing back a fan favorite. I'm saying fan favorite. I actually don't know if it's a fan favorite, but it's a... It's, a, it's an us favorite. It's an us favorite. Rick, we're doing a, a script reading. So obviously we've teased this a little bit earlier in the podcast. I have no idea what this is about, but I guess George is involved in some way. George so is involved. That's that's exciting, I guess. But um, I'm just going to let you kind of introduce this, and then we'll we'll get into it. Okay. So how this always works, and the reasoning that we do this is one, Parker and I think it's kind of funny. Maybe it's not. Two, we're working on our acting skills. You know, we're talking about movies. You never know. Yeah. You never know in this world, right? Here's here's the plan. You are going to play the parts of both Linus and George. So David is not in this scene at all. This is an added scene that AI created. And I asked it to create a scene that George was also in the in the love triangle, the fish. <laughs> oh okay. One, you will see it in the very first bit of line. George I made sure, and I and I made sure to type it out multiple times, and I really got ChatGPT to to try to get it as a stereotypical New York as possible. George has a heavy New York accent. All right. So whatever you you think the heavy New York accent is, that's George Linus. You can give whatever voice you want to give Linus. Um, I'm going to play the narrator, and I'm going to play Sabrina in this scene. Uh, originally, David was also in the scene. I thought I, w- I didn't want to have another. Uh, Another role, though. I don't think we needed to cover that. So I took him out. I'm playing Linus and George, right? Yeah, so I put your lines in bold. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you for that. If we need any seconds to get into character, we can. I'm going to put in some glasses. Gulp, gulp, Even gulp, though she, gulp, gulp. she doesn't wear glasses. Should I show my, my hair since she doesn't wear hats? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Your hair, your hair kind of looks like hers, though. Short. No, it does. I need to have like a little like bun thing going is on. Your, is your hair actually inspired by... Aubrey Hepburn? It is. That's actually what I do every time I go get a haircut. <laughs> You're like, give me the Hepburn. I said, give me the Hepburn. And then every single time they're like, oh, I got it. <laughs> well, Rick, it looks great. Spark here. We're going to just dive right in. Let's do it. I read this through very, very quickly one time. You have no, have no idea of what. <laughs> no idea, nothing. So let's just do it. All right. Okay, so we're in the mansion, in the Larrabee Mansion. Sabrina Fairchild, a stunning and classy woman, stands facing Linus Larrabee, a thoughtful and refined man. Tensions rise as they arrange at a heated conversation. Sabrina, you must make a choice. It's between David or me, and I fear I may lose. Sabrina gazes at Linus, her expression filled with uncertainty. Linus, it's not an easy... I'm not, I'm not sorry, I'm not making a girl voice here. That just feels inappropriate. Linus, it's not an easy decision. I need to sort of get out my feelings. Out of nowhere, a charismatic fish named George pops up from behind a nearby vase, catching Sabrina's attention. <laughs> All right, this says, with a New York accent. Hey there, Sabrina. Need a fantastic solution to your romantic dilemma? Sabrina is taken aback, but a glimmer of hope sparkles in her eyes. 
George, how did you... Forget about that, doll. I've got the idea that'll knock your socks off. Sabrina's curiosity peaks as she leans in closer. All right, George, I'm all ears. What's your plan? Here's a scoop, sweetheart. Linus may be all sophisticated and brooding, but let me tell you, I've got the charm and the flair to sweep you off your feet. We'll swim away from a love triangle drama and dive headfirst in the city of love, Paris. Linus raises an eyebrow. His composed demeanor is now tinged with a hint of amusement. George, I must admit, your confidence is quite impressive. But are you sure you can offer Sabrina the stability and intellectual connection she deserves? George swims closer to Sabrina, a twinkle in his eyes. Stability and intellect are overrated, my friend. Life is about taking risks, following the currents of passion, and embracing the unexpected. With me by her side, Sabrina will be experienced in a whirlwind of romance filled with spontaneity, laughter, and a touch of magic. Paris awaits, mon ami. Sabrina's heart skips a beat, captivated by George's boldness and the promise of a good adventure. George, <laughs> you've stolen my heart with your zest for life. Let's swim to Paris, where we'll dance. We'll dance along the river. Devour decadent pastries and create memories that'll sparkle like the Eiffel Tower at night. Linus watches Sabrina and George, a mix of longing and acceptance in his eyes. Sabrina, if this is what truly makes you happy, I won't stand in your way. May your journey be filled with romance, Jean de Villiers. Thanks for understanding, Linus. Don't worry. I'll take good care of our Sabrina. <laughs> You'll see a whole new side of her when she's swimming in the sea of love. Sabrina, let's go. Sabrina and George stare a knowing smile, ready to embark on their Parisian escapade. Au revoir, Linus. Thank you for the moments we've shared. I'll cherish them as always. With a final wave, Sabrina and George swim off, leaving Linus behind, reflecting on the bittersweet nature of love. Oh, Rick, that was that was intense. First off, can I just say I've just imagined that that George is like a goldfish and he's like <laughs> swimming. <laughs> Sabrina and, and a goldfish are swimming across the Atlantic Ocean to Paris. So I was like trying to get it to spit out something that's reminiscent of the bee movie. Yeah, where the bee kind of like tries to woo the, the the human woman. So that's that was the goal here. Rick, well, George is, George is a confident fish, let me tell you. I typed in so many things to kind of spit out what I wanted to spit out. <laughs> Just in the way that I, I, I think I said, make sure it's a heavy New York accent or like stereotypical New Yorker. Like I, I don't think like I did a New times. York accent justice at all, but I tried to give it something. I feel like you originally went from New York smoker and then you just <laughs> went somewhere else after I that. <laughs> I felt awesome. like I felt like my Linus voice was pretty consistent throughout though, so it was. Well my goal of this too, and I feel like we achieved it a little bit. I wanted to give as much just direct interaction between George and Linus as possible just to see you switch it on and off. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. But anyways, that is our script reading. Uh, I promise that the next ones They'll probably get stronger. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe we started. We'll see. Maybe this one hit. You never know, Park. <laughs> you never know. Rick, I, I enjoyed this one, and I'm so glad that we did this to start off season two because this was one of my favorite parts of, of season one. 
I was glad I kept it a real, it was a real surprise. That's how we got to do it. Rick, yeah, I don't want to know anything about any of these scripts moving forward. Well, Park, we have one final segment for this season. Do you care to explain? Rick? Normally, during this part of the podcast, we would go ahead and give our pass or recommend for a film. But nay, not this season. This season, we're doing something special because this is rom-coms we're talking about. So we have, instead of the pass and recommend, we have the rom and the com scale. <laughs> so basically how this is going to work is we are going to take the movie that we watched and we're going to rate the rom from a scale of 1 to 5 and then the com from a scale of 1 to 5 and add those scores together and whatever that number is is what we rated out of 10. So Rick, I explained it. I've been talking a lot. Why don't you go ahead and give the ROM and the COM scale a go-ahead. Of course, Park. So yes, we designed this to be a perfect system, just as you said. So for me, the COM in this movie, I'm going to give it I'm gonna give it a three. I do think it was there. And I think it was pretty strong. I think it could have been a lot better to, to kind of hold attention. May have been a five in that day, but in today when I'm watching this, I'm not in the 50s. So that's a fair three, right? Now, Park, the ROM, absolutely no ROM in this. I just didn't buy it. It's a one. <laughs> a one so this Rick. is a four out of ten. <laughs> four out of ten, Rick. That is science right there. It is science. Science with Parker. Oh, can't wait for those segments to come back. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get to it at some point during the season. So would you say if it's under a five out of ten, you don't, like, would that count as a pass for you then? Or is that just totally a separate thing that we shouldn't even worry about? Yeah, I would say under a five is a is a is a pass. I would say if you get if you get to a five, you can kind of be either pass or recommend. I think under a five is a pass. All right, fair enough. Now that our audience can kind of associate what that means for me, I'm going to give the com in this movie a four out of five. Rick and I have a little bit different humor. I love slapstick comedy. I love kind of that older school witty dialogue, and so. I eat this up. And so because of that, four to five comms. As for the ROMs, I have to agree with you on a lot of things, but I'm not going to be quite as harsh as you. I'm going to give it two out of five. I think that there are some redeeming qualities of this movie. I think just Audrey Hepburn's performance and how she acts and behaves in her romantic situations give it in deserve to give it at least something higher than a one so two out of two out of five roms for me which would what put me at a six out of ten in the rom-com scale yeah. so you'd still be in the i guess you'd kind of still be in the gray area park so would you i'd be in the gray area but i i would I'd, I'd recommend this movie i actually really did enjoy it the the sum of its parts um are not as strong as the entire entity of it um and i I don't know, I just kind of, I, I'm starting to really love 50s movies. It's just a, it's a bop, Rick, that speaks to my soul. I'm going to stick with passing for me. I just think this is like an insane, insane masterclass by Audrey Hepburn. I don't know what the heck else was up for the, the Oscars. I know she was nominated. I mean, this, to me, just shows that she probably should have won it. But again, maybe I could be biting my tongue. What are we watching next week? Rick, well, we've been teasing it all podcast long. We are staying with our girl. Audrey Hepburn, for at least one more week. We're going to 1961, 
We're watching the one and only Breakfast at Tiffany's. Park, I'm excited. I've never seen this movie, but I literally think anyone can just pick out the reference. Rick, I'm with you. I actually have not seen this movie either, so this is going to be a first-time watch for both of us, a first-time reaction for both of us. And I think when we're done this with this, we'll be able to understand a lot more bachelorette parties as well. I think we will. I feel like the Breakfast at Tiffany's is like a theme of probably one out of five bachelorette parties. Yeah, so Rick, we will be able to associate with at least one out of five bachelorette parties after this. That's right. I think that's just that's the goal of rom-coms, right? Like a, maybe after we're done watching them, we'll be able to just be better to our wives, Park. <laughs> or actually be funny. Or Maybe. actually be romantic. You never know. You know, Rick, I think I'm already funny, so... Okay, well then, you work on. You can work on the romance. I know that's not well, Park, and I'll work on the, on the funny. All right. By the end of the season, we're going to have to show our audience how far we've grown. It's true. It's our character growth of the season, Rick. The rom and the com, Park. That's what it all ties together. The rom and the com. All right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for listening to Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast, Season 2. The podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from a different decade each week. From black and white classics to modern day blockbusters, we'll be covering it all. Until next week, guys, see you then. Smash that like button. Two Dudes, One Movie is an independently created podcast. Like, rate, follow, and subscribe wherever you listen. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube where we will post full video recordings of each episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast. Thanks for watching.